Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. None, none of us can help it. And, um, you know, well before we started doing these webinars, Larry was uh, the most frequent and, the, you know, the most eloquent, of course, um, <clears throat> Uh, Jack Bogle was pretty eloquent too, but he was on my radio show and I love, always loved having him come because he was just such a wealth of information and has such a wonderful reputation in the industry. So I sometimes can't help asking more questions, but I will try to uh, be quiet, Erica, and you can, you can, oh, you can no, ask the no. next one. And I'm learning so much as well. So it's, it's all <laughs> wonderful. But I do have some questions that were submitted before and it would be nice. I'm sure for everyone who submitted them, um, if we could get as many of them answered as possible. Fair so enough. the next question was also submitted in advance uh, and it was actually submitted in the first webinar yesterday by George. And he says, how does opportunity zone investing compare to other options such as Roth? So I'm not sure who might want to take Larry. Right, uh, Adam's pointing at me, I think. Okay. All right. There's an old saying among wise investors, you should never let the tax dog wag the tail. Uh, and so my, my view is simply, I would stay away from these uh, because you're going to be driven by the tax issues and, you know, you are missing all of the other more important things, like is it actually a good investment in the first place? Uh, and we wanna build a highly diversified portfolio across investments that have generated risk premiums persistently over very long periods of time. It doesn't mean that a particular opportunity zone investment may not turn out to be a good one. But there's no evidence that you can look at to say it will be a good investment or not. So these things are marketed as stories to investors. Look, we're going to save you money, just like tax shelters on oil and gas. Uh, and then they can blow up in people's faces. Personally, I would tell you to avoid them. Oh my goodness. Okay. Sorry. I was caught off guard. I was looking for a new question because I thought there can't possibly just be one with no follow-up answer. Um, but that's great. Thank you very much, uh, both for the answer and for the brevity. So the next uh, question is also one that came from the live room. Um, and it was submitted yesterday after the first webinar. Um, and Helen said, our documents were done a long time ago after we had our kids. They were done by an estate attorney in New Jersey, and we don't think he was very good. We don't even live in New Jersey anymore. We're retired to Florida. We're interested in meeting with you, Jim, to discuss becoming assets under management clients. 
Uh, and you mentioned this morning that you had estate planning services, some for out-of-state AUM clients. Could you expand on that? What might you be able to do for us with the estate planning and, uh, and what is your asset under management process like for new clients? Well, there's a whole bunch of questions in there and I'll try to take them one at a time. Uh, first, let's talk about switching states. So these folks um, uh, had documents done in New Jersey. Um, and very frankly, we, we obviously have clients that we have done documents for when they were Pennsylvania residents. And very often, particularly later in life, uh, maybe if one of their children move to a different state and they follow their children, the question is, and let's assume for discussion's sake that the documents that they had prepared in New Jersey were perfect. They were appropriate. They uh, followed the, let's say, basic tenets of Lang's Cascading Beneficiary Plan. Do they need to have new documents just because they moved to Florida? And the answer is no. Um, I don't want to speak to Louisiana because that's that's a whole other world. Um, but you know, with the Pollyanna code and all that. But the other 49 states, uh, yes, there's differences in each state, but if the document was well prepared, um, moving to a different state shouldn't have any impact. So, you know, one uh, example that I come to mind, um, we had clients who were very happy with us and we prepared their documents and they moved out of state. And I got a letter and said, hey, we moved out of state. And because we moved out of state, we decided to get redo our documents. Uh, would you just check to make sure that they're okay? And I looked and of course they were a mess. And I called them back and I said, well, these documents are a mess. And I said, they said, well, how do I fix them? I said, you don't need to have anything fixed because what we did worked perfectly fine. So just the fact that you move states, that to me is not sufficient reason to do documents. Now you said, hey, they're not sure that they're the right documents. And by the way, just because your kids, and I assume that there were minor trusts if they were prepared well, um, just because your kids are no longer minors, if nothing else has changed, uh, there's a good chance that they don't have to change. Now, if they're not appropriate, well, then they need to be redone. And a lot of times it might not be appropriate. Um, even if they were done right in the first place, which they probably weren't um, because of, let's say, tax law changes or more likely their own particular changes in their circumstances. In that case, it probably is prudent to redo documents. And like I've said multiple times, but I'll say it again, we are, we are not licensed to practice in Florida or any other state other than Pennsylvania. On the other hand, if you become an assets under management client, or if you do our, your financial master plan with us, part of that plan is us looking at your documents and making recommendations to the estate attorney in that state uh, for um, what we think should be in those documents that isn't. And then if necessary, which it usually is, unfortunately, we would actually review the documents after the local state attorney has, uh, let's say, made an attempt to get the documents to where we, we wanted them to be. So I hope that's a long-winded answer, um, but I'll just say that that is, to me, you know, some of the things that, that 
Larry is doing and Adam is doing on the investment side, some of the stuff that we are doing on the Roth side, on the gifting side. And I know that there's overlap between what we and Adam do with his 40-step process. But to me, it's so potentially valuable to a client. What would really be a shame is if that value was significantly diminished because the estate planning documents weren't optimal. And that's what happens way more than it is optimal, which is why we do that, even though we're not officially licensed to practice law in those other states. So to me, that is, that's, that's really crucial. Um, you know, if you botch the stretch of an IRA, or if you don't have the, the right disability trust, or you don't have the right to disclaim to a child or a grandchild, or you leave IRA money uh, to your family instead of charity, and you leave after-tax dollars to the charity and IRA money, these things can cost tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's why, you know, I maybe work control freaks a little bit, but that's why we want to take a look at the estate plan and the wills and the trusts. And for professors, more importantly, the beneficiary designations of the retirement plans before we bless it and say, okay, you're, you're done and you can think about other things. Great. Thank you, Jim. That was a comprehensive answer. And the only other thing that I will point out about that question and answer is that Brian has also kindly put a link to the offer. Uh, it's the same form that anybody who filled out the form in the prior webinars will have viewed, but it's harder to access this time. You actually have to click on the link here in the offer, and then it will open up in a separate window. But you just complete the form there if you're interested in an initial consultation because you're interested in working with us uh, and Buckingham in an asset center management capacity, or if you're interested in a master plan, a financial master plan engagement. However, we have had several requests for the financial master plan engagements already, and we've only reserved a few spots for that. So if you are interested in that, I would recommend doing it soon. But if you are interested in assets under management, you will probably more likely at this point to be able to meet with Jim uh, and uh, to be able to get a spot to meet with one of our accountants to develop your financial master plan soon. And, so, and, and, and let me just add briefly, you, you know, I mean, to me, if I am an investor and I'm listening to what Larry's talking about specifically on the alternatives and I'm thinking, wow, that's great, but who needs Lang? You would be right. If you went to Buckingham by themselves without Lang, paid them 1%, and you went through their 40-step process, and you would be doing very, very well. But our value proposition is for no additional money, you get you know, Adam and his team and the brain trust of Larry, and you get us with the Roth and the estate planning analysis and everything else for the same price. So, you know, <laughs> and, and my deal with Buckingham is to distinguish how fees, if you start with them, then I don't get anything. So I'm not gonna do that work if I don't get anything. But instead, if you start with me, um, then you're gonna get then you're gonna get what I think is the best of both. And I'll look you in the digital eye and tell you I don't know of a better value proposition anywhere in the market than the combination of us and Buckingham. Or uh, to be fair, we, we do have other investment firms who I also think are very good also. 
Now, I do have another question from the live room. And just based on a couple of the words in this question, I feel like Larry is the uh, right fit to answer it uh, or to be the first to answer it. It's from Bill. And he says, how does your approach deal with some of the black swan events that you mentioned? Okay, so first let's define for people what we mean or the convention of a black swan. It's an unexpected event that can hit the markets. Well, we could say a 911 was a black swan. Uh, you could call the great financial crisis a black swan, uh, the COVID crisis a black swan. So how do we deal with that? The, the first thing is we admit that we can't predict these events. We, however, we know that they will happen. We just don't know when. We don't know how bad their effects will be and we don't know how long it'll last. So it's absolutely critical to get the plan right and make sure it incorporates the virtual certainty that these are going to happen with historically them occurring about once every seven years or so. And so your plan has to deal with that. So when Adam meets with you and goes through his 40 step process, he's going to make sure to ask questions about what we call the, your ability, your willingness and your need to take risk. Uh, so your ability to take risk, most people think of only the investment horizon, how long you have if you have a very long horizon, you have more ability to wait out those black swans and hopefully the markets recover for them. Uh, but that's not the only thing that matters. You may have a very long horizon, but your labor capital might be highly correlated with equities. By that, I mean, maybe you're a construction worker or an automobile worker and the economy gets hit and automobile sales collapse or construction and housing falls apart, right? And now you have to sell some of your stocks just to put food on the table. Well, your ability to take risk is quite a bit different than if you're that tenured professor whose labor capital is very safe and highly unlikely to get hit when these black swans occur. So that professor has more ability to take risk. In other words, Adam's gonna ask you, are you a stock or a bond? Uh, the professors tend to be more bonds so they can own more equities and the construction worker or computer salesman or auto salesman, they tend to be more stock-like and therefore they need to own more safe bonds. Then we ask about your, your ability to sleep well at night. Some people can sleep well when the markets are dropping 10%, but can't when it hits 20. Well, then they have to have a more conservative per, uh, portfolio than someone who slept okay right through the 08 crisis, never panicked and sold. And then you have the question of need to take risk. If you spend, say, 100,000 a year, you're getting 40 from Social Security with you and your spouse, you need another 60, and you're sitting on $5 million, you have no need to take risk. You can sit with a very conservative portfolio that might be as little as 20 to 30% equities. We never recommend less than 20 because sometimes stocks do well when bonds do poorly. So stocks, you know, having at least some actually can reduce the risk of the portfolio. So we want to ask those kinds of questions. 
but then, so we try to build enough safe assets and uncorrelating assets in the portfolio to dampen those tail risks uh, and make sure that your portfolio um, will not exceed your ability, willingness, or need to take risk. For those of you who are interested in a more complex answer, I'd recommend reading my book, Reducing the Risk of Black Swans, which shows you how by owning less equities overall, but the equities you own being the most risky, small value stocks, that has provided you very similar returns to the traditional, say, 60-40 stock portfolio that looks market-like, uh, but instead you own only 40% stocks, but they're all small value, your tail risk has been cut dramatically. Now, you do give up some of the upside, but that's what most people don't care about. They care more about making sure they're not having to eat dog food, if you will, or they're able to sleep well. Uh, so that book goes into great detail about the strategy. That's one many of our clients adapt. And Adam would show you various strategies, market-like, tilted portfolios, we call them, to small in value, showing Monte Carlo outcomes, computer simulations, showing you the various odds of success and what happens in really bad markets, how have these various portfolios work because what is truly the most important thing is not choosing the right portfolio because there is no perfect portfolio. What's truly the most important is choosing a portfolio that you will have the ability to stick with and just rebalance and tax loss office and never panic and sell because that's committing, I use the term, portfolio suicide. That's really Adam's most important job is right up front, helping you figure out the right asset allocation. And Larry, can I just clarify something? You talked about labor capital and professors uh, that tend to have more salt, particularly tenured professors that tend to have more solid jobs and say a construction worker or a car worker or somebody whose job might be uh, more tied to the economy or you know, COVID, for example, a personal service where there is up, clo up close contact. But you're talking about somebody who is still working and presumably has a, a long number of years to continue. You are not talking about a retired professor who in effect has no labor capital. Yeah, that's a great question. One we talk about, I'd urge everybody here to get a copy of my book, your complete guide to a successful and secure retirement. We go through in great detail each of these issues about ability, willingness, and need to take risks, giving some examples. So for example, if you're a tenured professor at age 40, you've got a large amount of labor capital. If you're a tenured professor, and, and by the way, therefore ability to take more equity risks. If you're a tenured professor and you're retiring next year, it's irrelevant, right? Uh, so we also have to look at the length of your, your working career. What we have to remember is you might think of it like a X on an axis. Your labor capital starts off on this part of the axis. On day one, when you start working, your labor capital is the highest point it'll ever be, and it goes to zero the day you retire. Your financial statement is this 
your financial assets on this axis. The day you start working, you may even be in debt paying off your student loans and hopefully growing here, right? So Adam's job is making sure we're figuring out where you are and making sure we get that ability, willingness, and need to take risk right for your particular situation. Let me add another thing. Let's say you're a house painter because you like painting houses, but you're, you were you know, genetically blessed and your parents left you $10 million. It's irrelevant what your labor capital may be tied to the economy. You can build you know, a very safe portfolio or even a riskier one, but you have $10 million. You're okay no matter what. So you have to look at your labor capital in relationship to your other assets as well. These are really important questions. And I'd ask everyone on this call, if you've ever worked with a stockbroker or an investment advisor, have they ever asked you about these things? What I found is that's very rarely the case yet. It is incredibly important in helping set up the plan right in the first place. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.